Listening to the Psycho Circus, a Kiss album podcast. One fan's opinionated analysis of every Kiss release. I am your host, Ryo V, and I thank you for taking the time to join me today for episode 52 Kiss Alive 3. Before we get into the album analysis, if you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you haven't already done so, Please leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews and subscriptions help other KISS fans to find this show. If you have any comments, you want to provide any feedback, you can reach me at psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. That's psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at RyoV on Twitter. That's at R-Y-O-V-I-E. On Twitter. Alright, so today's communication actually comes from Twitter. And uh, it comes from a recent tweet that was put out there by Kissman. That's at Kissman, at K I S S M A N. And a huge Kiss fan, by the way, obviously. And he proposed the following You can press your own ideal Kiss recording by choosing your favorite side one and side two of any Kiss studio album. Rules. Sides must be from two different albums. No solo or greatest hits albums. Now, I can tell you, I love this. Of course, I picked up on this right away. I saw the tweet, and I was like, this is fabulous. I have to steal this for the show. So thank you, Kissman. And uh, full credit to Kissman. This was his idea. It was his tweet. It was his challenge. Um, I did nothing but pilfer it and take it to the show and tweeted him back and said, I'm going to give you full credit when I finally record that this. So uh, here's full credit to at Kissman. And uh, you should give him a follow if you don't already. Um, great. just He's a huge Kiss fan. He tweets some really cool stuff. Um, does some great movie reviews as well if you're into that. So um, definitely give him a follow. And, uh, you know, if you if you do, tell him uh, at Ryo sent you, at Ryo V sent you. So... Um, this is why I love interacting with KISS fans, you know, this is the kind of stuff you, you're going to get that uh, you, you don't really get anywhere else, so, um, you know, I love connecting with KISS fans, I love getting emails from KISS fans, I love getting tweets from KISS fans, so, um, you know, this, this kind of stuff is just awesome, and thank you once again, KISS man. Alright, so... Looking at that tweet and and seeing what the rules were, you know, I had to put some thought into this. Which two Kiss albums would I combine using side one from one album and side two from another album to make my own Kiss record? And I have to admit, this was a little more challenging than I had originally anticipated. Now, initially, I just thought that I would take a side from Destroyer and a side from either Creatures of the Night or Lick It Up and presto, I have a Kiss album. However, when I started examining these albums from the perspective of just one side, that's where the challenge became so much more difficult. I mean, I love Destroyer. I think it's a perfect album. I can listen to it over and over and over again. But when I examine it as one side or the other, it doesn't carry the same weight. If I choose side one, I'm leaving out Sweet Pain, which is one of my all-time favorite Kiss songs. If I choose side two, I'm leaving out Detroit Rock City into King of the Nighttime World, which 
I think is the best opening to any Kiss album ever. So what's a fan to do? Now, similar problems occurred with Lick It Up and Creatures of the Night. Both are exceptional albums on a whole, but when you break it down to sides, it becomes trickier. Creatures, side one, starts off exceptionally strong, but then you could only use side one, so then you'd be leaving out I Love It Loud and War Machine. If side two is chosen, then you can no longer use side one, and we don't get Creatures of the Night, Saint and Sinner, or Rock and Roll Hell. Now, what about Lick It Up? You know, if I choose to use Lick It Up, then I want to include a million to one. I have to use side two. And honestly, as magnificent as Lick It Up is, side two is the weaker side. But if I use side one, I don't get All Hell's Breaking Loose, and I don't get the aforementioned a million to one. So this is maddening, I say. This... This went on for a while. I started looking at Asylum because, you know, I would love to have uh, All Night in there. Maybe Tears Are Falling, but they're also on different sides. So it, it really, I really had to rack my brain a little more than I wanted to. Well, not that, now that's not true. I, I actually wanted to do this. This was an enjoyable assignment. Trust me on that. But um, I guess a little longer than I thought I was going to have to. In the end, after much, much prolonged thought, I just decided that I was going to join my two favorite Kiss albums. And so now I present you to my answer to the Kiss Man Challenge. Side one is from Revenge. And it would be Revenge, side one, which would include the following songs. Unholy, Take It Off, Tough Love, Spit, God Gave Rock and Roll to You Too, and Domino. And then side two would be from Destroyer, and it would be side two of Destroyer, which would be Flaming Youth, Sweet Pain, Shout It Out Loud, Beth, and Do You Love Me. And both sides were produced by Bob Ezrin. Now, I don't know if this makes a perfect album, but that was not the intent of the challenge. I believe the intent was to just see what kind of albums could be created using existing side ones and side twos. So, uh, well done, Kiss Man. <laughs> a lot of fun. A lot of fun, that assignment. And I encourage you to go back onto Twitter and look at, Kiss Man's tweets and, and see, you know, what people chose. There were some cool picks out there. I got to admit, um, you know, uh, a lot of cool marriages of side one and side two to make pretty awesome record albums. And if you want to weigh in, you know, don't send me an email for this one. Well, okay, you can if you must. But again, I encourage you to tweet at Kiss Man and at Ryo V and just post what you think would be a great side one and a side two on Twitter and uh, give a shout out to Kiss Man. All right, so now it's time to get into the meat of this episode, which is the album analysis. And Alive 3 was released on May 18th, 1993 on Mercury Records. Band members for this album are as follows. Paul Stanley, lead vocals and rhythm guitar. Gene Simmons, lead vocals, bass guitar. Bruce Kulick, lead guitar. Eric Singer, drums and vocals. And Derek Scherninen, 
Boy, did I bet I butchered that name. Uh, he did keyboard and backing vocals, and it's spelled S-H-E-R-I-N-I-A-N. Sherinan. Sherinan. Sorry, Derek. You were on keyboard and backing vocals, and nobody probably knew that anyway. So, <laughs> The album was produced by Kiss and Eddie Kramer. And the track listing for Alive 3 is as follows. Creatures of the Night, Deuce, I Just Wanna, Unholy, Heaven's on Fire, Watching You, Domino, I Was Made for Loving You, I Still Love You, Rock and Roll All Night, Lick It Up, Forever, I Love It Loud, Detroit Rock City, God Gave Rock and Roll to You Too, and the album closes with a cover of the Star Spangled Banner. And then the vinyl album did contain a bonus track, which was Take It Off. And so this was it. This was the live album that KISS fans had been waiting so long to hear. After many years of no live albums, KISS finally returned to the live setting with a live three. The album was recorded in November of 1992 during the height of the Revenge Tour. Uh, Recordings from concerts in Cleveland, Detroit, and Indianapolis were used for this release. And right away, there was much controversy in the KISS community concerning this album. Now, the first bit of controversy had to do with the fact that there were songs on this record that had already been included on Alive. Deuce, Watching You, Rock and Roll All Night. Fans felt that really took away from other songs that could have been included. The band had not released a live album since 1977, which was recorded during the Love Gun tour, so many studio albums had come out since then. But the inclusion of three songs from previous live albums took away space that other songs could have had. I mean, fans wanted to hear songs from Lick It Up other than the title track. Fans wanted to hear songs from Asylum and from Crazy Nights. Yet, neither of those albums were represented at all. It was irritating to a degree where the fans were left wondering how much thought went into this live release, or was it just a money grab? Now look, as far as live albums go, this is an incredible one. But I do understand the concern and the disappointment that previous live tracks were included, which meant leaving out other songs that fans wanted to hear. Where's Tears Are Falling? Where's Under the Gun? Where's All Hell's Breaking Loose? Where's Crazy Nights or Reason to Live? These were all big songs for Kiss in the 80s, and they were deliberately left off the record. Now, part of the reason for that is due to the fact that the band didn't perform those songs during the concerts that were recorded for this album. But part of the reason is also due to the fact that the band did not want to go back to performances from previous years when those songs were recorded live. Yes, KISS wanted to capture the magic of what their current concerts were like, and that was the decision they made to only include songs from the three shows that were recorded in November 1992. But that decision obviously came with a cost. Now, the second controversy had to do with how live this album was. By this time in history, there were several rumors that Alive and Alive 2 were fixed and not really live. There were rumors that the band added in all the concert noise, they fixed all the tracks so that they sounded more powerful and more real, and it would be years before the truth about that came out, and yes, some of the songs were fixed, but as of the release of Alive 3, this was still unconfirmed for KISS fans. But when the rumblings came out that 
I Was Made for Loving You was from a sound check and not an actual live recording, the rumor mill started working overtime again with the question of how live is this live album? And how live were those previous live albums? Now, controversies aside, Alive 3 was a terrific live album in general, but it missed the mark for a lot of KISS fans. I mean, diehard KISS fans who wanted this album for the longest time were disappointed in the song selection and the lack of certain songs being on the album. The newer fans loved it because it was a live album that reminded them of the first time they saw KISS in concert. Regardless of how, many, regardless of how the fans felt, the album went gold in 1994, and while it is largely overlooked in the catalog these days, the album was a big item upon release, and it was added to many collections, including my own. You know, if we ignore the previous live records, and I know that's hard to do, but stay with me for a moment. If we ignore the previous live albums and just focus on this record as its own release, not comparing it to previous live Kiss releases, one can see that this is a solid live album. It contains some great classics, current hits of the time, that had even more energy in the live setting. Once again, KISS showed the other rock bands of the time what a live concert should be like, and they, they did it with no apologies. So even if some of the songs were fixed in the studio, the live album is still amazing. Yes, there will always be the debate of whether it is truly a live album. But when it's all said and done, Alive 3 is another terrific record that captures the magic of what a KISS concert is like. And that is the mark that needed to be hit. And they hit it. Now the cover to Alive 3 is a cool one, but even better is the interior of the linear notes once unfolded from the CD version, which is the version that I have. The cover itself has the KISS logo scrolled across the top in huge font, and under that is the word ALIVE in all caps, and under that is the Roman numeral 3. Inside each of the words, um, or the Roman numerals, the letters, are photos from a live concert. So the band is captured live in action inside of the words. Now the rest of the album cover is pure black, which helps the photos to pop. And a similar effect was used on the Extreme Close-Up video release with all the black background. Some of the photos include Gene breathing fire, Bruce doing a guitar solo, and a full band stage shot. And as cool as the album cover is, it is the interior that makes it extra special. When you pull the cover out of the CD case and you unfold it, it it opens into this awesome gatefold that contains a plethora of linear notes and material that can be reviewed and consumed for hours. And trust me, when this first came out, I spent three listens of this entire record consuming these linear notes. So, so, excuse me, liner notes. So, I spent a good four or five hours just looking this over and over and over again. Now, the, the first unfold reveals some pictures, a band photo, a message from the band, which, you know, reminded me of the notes that were contained in the first Alive record. And, and the message states the following. When we're dead and gone, how are we remembered? Only by what we leave behind. If talk is cheap, action is worth its weight in gold and platinum. Alive 1, 2, and now Alive 3 will be our testament our monument to us, to you, and to the invincibility of rock and roll. And it's signed by the band, first names only. That's a pretty neat message. 
albeit, you know, a little self-serving, although I wouldn't really expect anything less from KISS, especially at that point in their career. They earned it. Now, continuing to unfold the cover reveals a collage of photos, live shots, memorabilia, and other cool things from the history of KISS. A picture of each band member is included that shows them in some form of live action, uh, the best being Gene Breathing Fire. It's a nice close-up shot of something that was hard to find with that level of clarity. Remember, this is pre-internet, so you didn't get... What we get, you didn't get it as easy as it is these days where you just look up, oh, Gene Breathing Fire, and you get 100,000 images to choose from. You had to see it in a magazine or, you know, this type of uh, photo shoot that came with, you know, with the album packaging. Now, unfolding the cover one more time reveals the coolest thing of all a Kiss family tree timeline. I'll try to tweet this out for those of you who aren't familiar with it or may have forgotten about it. Um, I'm pretty sure I have a picture of it that I can tweet out. The timeline shows the earliest days of KISS, listing Gene, Paul, Ace, and Peter's first bands, and then tracks how every member of KISS throughout the entire history of the band up until that point came to be. This thing is so amazing that I honestly wish the band would do an updated version of it. It even includes all five incarnations of Freely's Comet. No band was left out. No member of KISS was shorted. All of the bands that every member of KISS were ever involved in are included. I tell you this, you can spend hours reviewing this thing and be extremely entertained. And if you take it to the next level and you you review it and say, all right, as I review it, I'm going to listen to songs from those bands, it can keep you busy for weeks on end. Trust me, one of the coolest things Kiss ever included in one of their releases. All right, let's get into the song breakdown. And the album Alive 3 opens with the song Creatures of the Night. And this was written by Paul Stanley and Adam Mitchell and sung by Paul Stanley. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Just really just a great way to open a Kiss concert. I like how the crowd noise fades in and we get the sense of the concert about to begin. You know, that prick of excitement and the loud cheers just as the band takes the stage. It's it's always an amazing moment. And then the drums kick in and we are off and running. However, what I do greatly miss is the iconic, you wanted the best and you got the best. That spoken intro was not included for Live 3. And I don't think the band was using it on that tour. And you know, that makes me a little sad. With or without the original members, KISS is still the hottest band in the land. Now, the song itself sounds superb live. I mean, this is the first opportunity that most fans had to hear Creatures of the Night live, and it didn't disappoint. Creatures is a great way to open any KISS concert, and it may be one of their strongest openers. And on this record, it was the perfect choice for an opener. It's a well-known song that really gets the crowd amped and excited, and it's the first opportunity to hear Bruce's guitar work live, you know, the um, 
video aside, the animalized video, I know that's not what it's called, live uncensored video aside, you know, this is the first chance to hear Bruce's guitar work live on an album, and, and the first of many magnificent solos that Bruce is going to perform throughout the course of the night. So, timeless, so magnificent. Look, I love Ace, I always will, but Bruce Kulick is a spectacular guitarist in his own right, and I will always appreciate his time in the band and, and look back fondly on it. I really do wish that he was still in the band. That's not to say I don't like Tommy Thayer. I often wish that Kiss had decided to go back to the 90s era lineup and lose the makeup after that first farewell tour. I think they could have done so much more. And I think that Sonic Boom and Monster would have been better with Bruce on guitar. And again, it's nothing against Tommy Thayer. I think Tommy's brilliant in his own right. And anyone who has listened to this podcast for more than one episode or two knows that I do feel that way. But simply stated, Bruce was the better guitarist. Bruce is the better guitarist. He and Ace are neck and neck for best guitarist in Kiss. Ace wins, but it's very, very close. All right, next song is Deuce, written by Gene Simmons and sung by Gene Simmons. And while I do enjoy this version of Deuce, I have issues with it being included on a live three. You know, I didn't want a live three to have any songs that had already been released in a live setting. And I remember reading the track list for this record before it was released and just scratching my head. I mean, why the heck are they including songs that were already done on a live and a live two? You know, the band set the precedent by not including previous live songs when they recorded a live two, so now there was an expectation. And with the number of albums recorded between a live two and a live three, there was plenty of source material to choose from. So Deuce wasn't necessary. Rock and Roll All Night wasn't necessary. Detroit Rock City wasn't necessary. We could have gotten Tears to Falling, All Hell's Breaking Loose, Who Wants to Be Lonely, or some other awesome hit from the 80s. So while this version of Deuce is solid, it's it's unnecessary. Next up is I Just Wanna. This is written by Paul Stanley and Vinnie Vincent and sung by Paul Stanley. And I think this song is where we get the first inclination that Paul's voice is starting to go a little. You know, by this point in the band's career, he had been singing a long time, and the effects of that were starting to show. Now, that's not to say he did a bad job on the live version of I Just Wanna, because he did not. The live version is pretty killer. But you can start to hear some of the strain and some of the scratchiness in his voice that would get worse as the years went on. And don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking Paul or bashing. I'm just pointing out the obvious. Live singing takes a toll on the performer, and we start to hear the first effects of that toll on this version of I Just Wanna. Still magnificent, and it absolutely had to be included on a live three, but the strain is there. Even the biggest Paul Stanley fans can't deny it. That being said, it still sounds great live. It's classic Kiss that wasn't classic at the time it was recorded. It was brand new Kiss at that time, and it sounded so darn good. Something that I wish the later incarnation of the band would have done. Perform more of their new songs in the live setting. All right, next up is Unholy, written by Gene Simmons uh, Vinnie Vin- and Vinnie Vincent, sung by Gene Simmons. And, and while this is a great studio song, it's, it's a decent live version. I mean, Unholy in the live setting is not bad, but it's not terrific. It, it's similar to the studio version, I guess. It, it's good guitar work by Bruce. Gene's vocals sound decent, but... 
There's nothing in the live version that really sets it apart from the studio version. Now, some would say that's a good thing, and I'm not saying that it isn't a good thing. I'm just saying the two versions are very similar, and I've always felt that if I want the songs to sound 100% identical to the album version, then I should just listen to the album. Again, there's nothing wrong with the live version of Unholy. I, I like it about as much as I like the studio version. I think it's a solid Kiss song. Just not one of my favorites. Different, as we discussed during the Revenge episode, but different in a good way. And this is 90s Kiss. And now, this is 90s Kiss Live. Next up is Heavens on Fire. This is written by Paul Stanley and Desmond Child and sung by Paul Stanley. This is another one of those songs that KISS fans were just waiting and waiting to hear on an alive record, and they finally got their wish. This is a great version of the song, and that it's given an exceptional performance. I mean, this was my first exposure to the song live as I got this record long before I attended my first Kiss concert. And I love the little live subtleties that come with the song. Like, you know, where Paul has the crowd singing along and then sings out, everybody sing with us, and then a little bit louder, a little bit louder. You just get the full feeling of what it's like to experience this song at a Kiss concert, and that's awesome. You know, by the time I had purchased a Live 3, I'd only been to two or three concerts at all in my life, and none of them were a Kiss concert. So I had no idea what a Kiss show was like. This record and songs like Heavens on Fire helped form my vision as to what it would be like to be at a Live Kiss concert, a, a thrill that I would get to experience many times through my, throughout my life, just not in the early 90s. And the live version of Heavens on Fire sounded amazing. Paul's voice was still strong. The music was hard and heavy. It sounded just like a classic Kiss song should sound in the live setting. And as the lone representative from Animal Eyes, Kiss did a great job with the live version of Heavens on Fire. All right, next up is Watching You. And this was written by Gene Simmons and sung by Gene Simmons. And again, another song that was not needed because it had already been recorded. But if I put that aside... I do love this song, and I do love hearing it live. I've always thought that Watching You was one of the greatest early Kiss songs recorded. Songs like this one and Love Em and Leave Em are what made me a huge Gene fan when I was younger. I just think that there's an exceptional power in this song and a a great bass line that has a terrific beat while keeping things dark. And that brings up the problem I have with this version of the song. Gene's voice isn't as dark as it was in the early days. Now, that could be an age thing. It could be he didn't want to strain as much because his Kiss had to perform a lot more concerts than they did back in the day. But it did take away from the charm of the song. There's no demonic-sounding Gene. It's just regular Gene singing in a regular voice. And that's not what I want to hear when it comes to watching you. I want the dark demon overlord of the deep. I want that horrifying version of the demon. I want deep and dark. And sadly, I don't get it here. I have to go back to the original Alive release to hear that version. The next song is Domino. And this was written by Gene Simmons and sung by Gene Simmons. And Watching You kicks right into Domino with no intro, which is okay. 
Now, if the spoken start of the song did not age well on the studio version, which we discussed on the last um, on the Revenge episode, then it really didn't age well on the live version. It just it sounds so stupid here. I know that I probably loved it as a college-aged youth, but hearing it now, so many years later, it just it just sounds so campy and forced. I mean, silly, perhaps, maybe even stupid. Maybe it was cool in 93, but not so much these days. Now, overall, the live version of the song is okay. I mean, it doesn't really do anything for me, and I, I don't go wild about it being included on the record. I understand why it's here. The song was released as a single, and Kiss was pushing the song hard at the time of the recording of the album, so it all makes sense, but Live Domino is just meh. You know, it, it could be the worst song on a live three. Next up is I Was Made for Loving You, and this was written by Paul Stanley, Desmond Child, and Vinnie Poncia, and sung by Paul Stanley. And here it is, one of my least favorite Kiss songs, Getting the Live Treatment. I don't think that I hate this song. I think my problem with this song mostly is how overplayed it is. I mean, you ask any rock fan to name a Kiss song other than Rock and Roll All Night, this is most likely the song they will pick. And I, th- I think I just got tired of this song over the years and tired of seeing it live so many times. It's not necessarily the fault of the song. It's more a fault of the way the song is treated, or should I say, over-treated. It just it gets too much love. All complaints aside, this particular live version is, is actually really good. I know I just did a complete 180 on you, but I have to say this live version is killer. Now, maybe it's because Bruce is on guitar and Eric's drums sound better than ever on this version of the song. Maybe it's because Paul's voice sounds exceptional on this version of the song. Maybe it's because they played this live version with more of a hard rock edge and less of that disco sound. Maybe it's because if Paul didn't get all campy when introducing the song, the band just played. I mean... Maybe it's a combination of all those things. Whatever the case, the Alive 3 version of I Was Made For Loving You actually had me listening to the song again and enjoying it. And that, my friends, is something that I never thought would happen. Next song is I Still Love You. This was written by Paul Stanley and Vinnie Vincent and sung by Paul Stanley. And I wish that I got to see this song in concert. I absolutely love this song. And I think it's one of the better ballads that Kiss ever did. I know that Paul could never sing it this day, these days. You know, even on this version, you can tell that his voice is getting a little strained and a little scratchy. Um, look, this is a tough song to sing. Paul pulls it off. Yes, there are some inconsistencies in the live version with some backing auto-tune and studio cleanup, but this live version is still pretty darn sweet. I Still Love You is a powerful song filled with passion and yearning. You can hear it in Paul's voice on the studio version, and he does his best to recreate that in the live setting. And of course, Bruce's guitar work is just brilliant. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Vinnie Vincent, who who did the studio version, but Bruce just nails this song live. His guitar sings out and compliments Paul's vocals so well that it, it gives me chills. And I know there are some there some out there who do not like the song. You know, dare I say they're 
haters, and I get it. It's not a typical Kiss song, but that's probably one of the reasons why I like it so much. It's so different from your typical Kiss song. We aren't singing about sex or objectifying women as sex objects. This is about the pain of losing someone and still having deep feelings for them. Whether the loss was due to pushing the girl away or leaving her for some reason, the loss is real and the pain is felt through Paul's vocals. The unplugged version of this song is even better, by the way, but we'll get into that when we cover the unplugged album. In the meantime, we just get to enjoy this live version, and it's a great version to enjoy. Next up is Rock and Roll All Night, and this was written by Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons and sung by Gene Simmons. This song is about what we believe in, and I know it's about what you believe in. It ain't bullshit when you say rock and roll all night and party every day. And with those words, the band kicks into rock and roll all night. What I love most about this version of the song is that it doesn't come at the end of the concert. And that's the way it should be. I mean... Think about it, you know, there's no need for this song to always end the night. So just having it where Kiss did not put this as the final song on the record, just that that alone just made me very, very happy. Now, what I don't like about this version of the song is that Kiss already recorded a live version of it, and I really don't like the repeats that showed up on a live three. It's, you know, one of the things that really hurts this album because fans could have had different songs recorded live for their enjoyment. You know, again, how about Tears Are Falling? How about Uh All Night? How about A Million to One? Hell, how about Young and Wasted? Any of those would have been an excellent addition to the live collection of Kiss songs. Instead, we get a reworked version of Rock and Roll All Night. It's upsetting, but, you know, that's that's the way it goes, I guess. Look, I understand Kiss is not going to not include this on the album. Oh, those pesky double negatives. I understand Kiss, Kiss, there's no way Kiss is not putting this on the record. I get that. I get that. But again, it was already on Alive. I mean, truthfully... This version of the song isn't even that good. You know, it sounds like the band's playing it a little too fast and almost rushing through it. Now, I don't know if Eric set the pace too fast or if this was the way the band was playing the song in the early 90s, but it's not a great version. So many versions of Rock and Roll All Night available, it's easy to say that this one, this one might be the worst version out there. Alright, next up is Lick It Up, and this is written by Paul Stanley and Vinnie Vincent and sung by Paul Stanley. And I absolutely love how the band goes right into this song without any intro except Paul singing, Don't wanna wait till you know me better, and then boom, everything explodes. I never really liked the intro that Paul gives this song in the live setting over the past few years. You know, where he goes, How many people like to give it a lick? It's just it's just campy. I mean, it was kind of cool the first time I heard the line, but then he continued to use it for like 10 or more years, and it just got old. You know, maybe part of that might be my fault for seeing the band too many times, but it just got old. Here, the band goes right from rock and roll all night into Lick It Up with no segue and no banter. Just jump right into the song, which I thought was awesome. 
just because of the power of the song. It's the way Paul's voice kicks in with the don't want to wait till you know me better right after the last note of rock and roll all night. It's a great segue, good way that it was done. It's a strong work. You know, and Paul's voice sounds strong on the track, which makes me wonder, was there a little cleanup done in post-production? And, you know, whether it was or not, this live version of Lick It Up, which was the first official live version at that, it sounds absolutely amazing. And it's songs like this that had fans clamoring to have a live three for years. Next up is Forever, written by Paul Stanley and Michael Bolton, and sung by Paul Stanley. And Paul kicks this one off by saying, Every time we do this one, the place lights up like a damned Christmas tree. That's your cue, folks. Lighters out and up in the air. Remember the days of having actual lighters at concerts and waving them in the air during ballads? You know, lit, of course. I don't know how that trend started, but I always thought it was pretty freaking cool. And if you don't remember those days, I have to ask this. How young are you? Us old folks remember it fondly, and we remember it well. Nowadays, people pull out their phones and set their lighters, and they wave them in the air. And Yeah, I mean, that looks pretty cool, too, but I miss the actual flames of fire. I don't think anything will be better than that. You know, maybe it's just nostalgia for my early concert days. I don't know. I always thought it was cool. Now, for this song, Bruce pulls out an acoustic guitar and, and hot Damn, does that solo sound impeccable live. You know, I have to admit, this is one of my favorite songs on a live three, which is ironic to me because it's far from one of my favorite Kiss songs. I like the song a lot, but I wouldn't go as far as to call it a true favorite. They definitely wouldn't even break the top 20, but the live version is just killer, and it just it sounds so real. And again, the acoustic guitar just gives it that extra flavor that puts the song over the top. I absolutely love it. All right, next up is I Love It Loud, written by Gene Simmons and Vinnie Vincent, and sung by Gene Simmons. And okay, first off, what the heck happened to the second stanza of the second verse? You know, the one that goes, no lies, no more alibis, turn it up, got me hypnotized, rock on, I won't be tranquilized. How did the band completely forget a verse of the song? It's like Vince Neil showed up to sing this one. And if you get that reference, I'm going to award you 40 bonus Psycho Circus podcast points. Done and done. Did Gene just forget that there was an extra line of lyrics in the second verse? Did the band consciously decide to take that verse out? What happened? I always said if I had the opportunity to interview Kiss, specifically Gene or Paul, that was going to be one of my lead questions. What happened to that line in I Love It Loud? It's like the forgotten verse, because ever since Alive 3, that stanza is not sung in any live setting. And I don't know why it would be removed. It's not offensive. I don't think it was taken out for any PC reasons. I really don't, I really think the band just forgot that it was part of the song and they sang it that way for years due to that simple fact. It's one of the mysteries. Ink history. <laughs> yep, I went there. That's right. Hey, I told you. I'll chuckle for myself if I have to. <laughs> but 
All kidding aside and missing lyrics aside, I'm not a huge fan of this live version. And not just because, you know, they, they don't sing the whole song. Gene's voice just, again, it's not dark enough or deep enough. And, and the band took what is ultimately a huge rock and roll anthem, you know, one of their best since Rock and Roll Night. And they, they kind of turned it into a bubblegum pop song. You know, it seems to lose its evilness on this live version. And while Bruce's guitar work may, makes most of the classics pop and sizzle, even his playing couldn't save this one. And that's a real shame because, again, it's songs like this one, songs like I Love It Loud, that fans have been waiting an eternity to hear on a live record. And they just, they got it, and they got bubblegum pop version. All right, next up is Detroit Rock City, and this was written by Paul Stanley and Bob Ezrin, and it was sung by Paul Stanley. And, and I have mixed feelings about this version of the song. On the one hand, it was already included on a live Kiss recording. So again, this is space where a different song could have been added. On the other hand, it's such a classic and such a timeless song that it's it's pretty awesome to hear it live with this incarnation of the band. Now, Eric Singer does a great job on the drums, and Bruce absolutely nails the solo. I guess if there was just one song that had already been included on a live record that would have to be added to a live three that I would be okay with. I know that's a lot of qualifiers there. <laughs> But anyway, I guess every one song, this would be that song. I mean, it's Detroit Rock City. It's one of the most iconic Kiss songs in the catalog. It's up there in the top five of greatest Kiss songs recorded, at least to me. So I almost understand adding this to the record. I mean, if you are going to include songs that have already been live released, and obviously Kiss was going to do that, then this song has to be added. But again, I just wish the band had stuck with only songs that had not been released live previously. Now, vocals-wise, Paul's voice sounds stronger than almost any song on the record. You know, maybe his voice got better as the night went on. Maybe he was fully warmed up and could really sing later in the night. Or maybe there was some cleanup work done. In whatever the case, the song sounds great on a live three. Next up is God Gave Rock and Roll to You 2. And this was written by Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Bob Ezrin, and Russ Ballard, and sung by Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. And I just I just get goosebumps listening to this song. Honestly, Kiss should have played this song at every single concert on the End of the Road tour, as well as many other tours. It's such a brilliant song, and the band pretty much ignored it after 1994. Now, I know it showed up on one of the makeup tours, and it, think it was at the Rock the Nation tour. Don't quote me on that. But other than that, it, no love. Why? It's so powerful live. It's so mesmerizing. It's such an amazing song. I know it's a cover or a remake or whatever. We talked about that last episode. But it's a song that Kiss made their own. Honestly, they made this one of their signature songs, which is why it was closing out concerts in the early 90s instead of Rock and Roll All Night. Gene and Paul trading vocals, Eric singing harmonies, and the music that just sounds like an orchestra coming from two guitars, one bass, and one set of drums. It's mind-blowing. Without a doubt, the best song on a live three. Go ahead, fight me on that. And then it's ignored for years and years after. 
What the heck? And sometimes this band just baffles me. I don't always understand their mindset or decision-making process or who they let influence that. I really wish I could have been their set list manager. Now there's a job for IOV. Set list manager to kiss. Oh, the concerts that you would have heard. Anyway, a great job to close out the night with a stellar song. I know there's one more after this, but it's not a Kiss song, and it is an instrumental. God Gave Rock and Roll to You too is it epitomizes what 90s Kiss was, what they sounded like, what they stood for, how they worked their asses off to get the band back to the top of their game. The song really shows the journey of the band through the non-makeup years and finds them at the top of the mountain once again. Very few bands can have a resurgence the way Kiss did in 1993. And while the Revenge album helped boost that resurgence to put the band in the forefront of rock music once again, the live version of God Gave Rock and Roll to You 2 shows why that is, and honestly, it made people want to see this band in concert. So, mission accomplished. Alright, last song on the album is The Star Spangled Banner. This was written by Francis Scott Key, and um, it's not sung by anybody. It was an instrumental done by Bruce with uh, you know some drums added in by uh, Eric, and then the whole band joins in for the very end. And Bruce... Bruce does a solid job of playing our national anthem. Now, it's not Hendrix or Wood, Woodstock, but it's still pretty decent. It's an odd choice to close out the night, but maybe Kiss was trying to show off their patriotism. And, you know, we get this little people we love you from Paul to close out before the crowd noise fades. And again, an odd choice to close the record, but it was a cool addition to the world of KISS live recordings. And, and all these years later, I am glad that it was captured for posterity and that it's still around for the fans to enjoy. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Psycho Circus Podcast. As always, I thank you for listening. you got a comment to share, you can email me at psychocircuspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, leave a review where you get your podcasts. Every review helps. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe and follow me on Twitter. I'm at RyoV on Twitter at R-Y-O-V-I-E on Twitter. Thanks again. Thank you for listening. I really, really appreciate uh, all the love I get from you guys and uh, all the listens. And uh, it's what keeps me going. Just trust me, some, some weeks are tougher than others, but thank you so much. Uh, always appreciated and always good to hear from you guys. All right, be sure to tune in next time where I will cover the home video Kiss Confidential, which was the VHS companion to a live three, uh, which was also, I believe, released on DVD. So we'll call it the home video companion to a live three. And until then, the carnival has just begun. Detroit Rock 